It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hello and welcome. Uh, welcome back to Mic'd Up on Ohm. Uh, welcome to those who are maybe watching on Facebook Live. Also, just those who are listening in. Again, my name is Mika Gadsden. This is Mic'd Up on Ohm. Uh, you're listening to 96.3 FM on radio, your nonprofit, non-commercial radio station. And we're broadcasting live from Workshop at 1503 King Street um, in, in, uh, in the Ohm Radio Studio. And today um, we're going to delve into one primary topic, but I did want to touch on a couple of headlines. If you walk into the studio, you'll probably see like a bunch of um, <laughs> newspapers all around from the past couple of days. Um, we, uh and uh, basically a lot of headlines. Hey, anyone's watching, give me thumbs up. Give me some some love. Let me know if you're watching on Facebook. And if, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm trying to do two things at once. But basically uh, this week's show is going to be um, dedicated to uh, Charleston County's jailing of um, asylum seekers. As, as many of you know, hey, Denver. <laughs> hey, Charles. As many of you know, um, asylum seekers... Uh, and immigration has been a major topic on uh, in national news. We know that currently, and without be getting partisan about the issue, but we do know there's a there's a crisis going on with those who are fleeing um, less than ideal conditions, to put it mildly, um, from other countries and seeking um, asylum here in the United States. They're actually being jailed. Um, we know that there are families who are that are being separated, and there have been huge consequences, huge. Um, uh, ramifications from from the jailing and the detention of families at the border. But but before we get into that primary topic of asylum seekers here and what how it pertains to Charleston specifically, I wanted to kind of reflect. This week has been a whirlwind, a uh, sheer whirlwind, um, as as most of my weeks typically are as an activist. Um, you know, I set out with an objective and then things get pulled. I get pulled in different directions, but it's, it's been a dope week. Uh, basically, I guess the highlight of my week was yesterday morning. Uh, I received word from two groups here in, uh, in, in the state regarding women's reproductive health and uh, certain legislation currently going was was being, um, I guess, certain legislation was being proposed where it would really have some uh, some hard implications for women, poor women, black women, women of color in general. And so I headed up to Columbia, to the state house, to show my support, to support REN, uh, the Women's uh, Women's Rights Empowerment Network, and also um, our local uh, Planned Parenthood uh, faction here, and just really wanted to go and lend my voice and support. And as I was there to support, uh, you know, women's reproductive rights, I also was able to sit in on a um, a Senate Judiciary Committee meeting, uh, subcommittee meeting regarding the, Char the Charleston loophole. And I'm going to grab my headline. So basically, unfortunately. Um, uh we didn't get we didn't get the progress we wanted in regards to closing the Charleston loophole for those of you who are unaware following the mother emmanuel massacre uh you know uh, le legislation was proposed to help uh help us repair from what happened so basically Dylan Roof was able to secure his gun because he slipped through a loophole. He had a record that would have prevented him from obtaining a gun. However, given this little loophole in, in the uh, FBI dropping the ball, 
Dylan Roof was subsequently able to get his hands on a firearm, and the rest is is tragic history. So I, I sat in this committee meeting. Uh, shout out to Kim Baker up in the Midlands um, with Indivisible Midlands, who uh, who put me up or put me on to um, the committee me- uh, hearing that I didn't know was was, was going to be scheduled that day. But basically, Marlon Kimson, who represents um, who represents our area here in Charleston, advocated very strongly as he's been for quite some time for stronger. Uh, background checks, um, just extending the background checks to uh, to three days. Uh, and unfortunately, if you if you've picked up today's Post and Courier or you've watched the news last night, the headline in Post and Courier this morning reads: uh, "Popular gun control effort falters." Senator says he'll try again. As 80% of South Carolina residents po- who were polled backed closing the Charleston loophole. See, this is just common sense. Uh, legislation that actually has the support, I believe, of most South Carolinians. Um, we saw what happened uh, here. We, we were we were touched by our own gun violence. And just today, before I came on live, I was um, saddened to read that a Parkland survivor uh, down in Florida, a young 19-year-old student, um, took her life uh, dealing with PTSD and, and, and other things uh, as a result of gun violence and being exposed to gun violence. And so I hope that uh, all of you pick up today's paper or if you subscribe online and you want to be sustainable and not, also, not have a bunch of paper around your house like me, you can um, also read online the Post and Courier. Read more about the gun control efforts. Uh, read more about Moms Demand Action. Um, shout out to Moms Demand Action. Shout out to Jackie, uh, who heads up that that group here in the South, uh, in South Carolina, and all of the women, Leslie Armstrong, all of the women I saw yesterday who packed that room out and really showed support and, and gave some comments or some commentary about the legislation. So there are people on the ground at the grassroots level working to help keep South Carolinians safe. So uh, read more about that issue. Also hit up. Uh, Senator Marlon Kempson, show your support. He's really fighting for us on this issue. And he's also, um, as we saw last year, he was a huge supporter of women's reproductive rights as well. And he and Margie Bright helped filibuster and keep our rights accessible here in South Carolina. So shout out to Marlon Kempson and Margie Bright for their work, too. When your lawmakers do good, recognize them. When they do bad, chastise them. That's that's my saying. But back to the primary topic today. Um, So I was in a library as usual. Um, I was in the library uh, last week, and I was uh, reading the paper, and I stumbled across an article, um, and it was the mayor, it was Mayor Tecklenburg and uh, other lawmakers, um, and it was talking about an increase in bail. So there there was a, a, a shooting here, talking, again, continuing the conversation about gun violence, but there was a shooting here recently in the Citadel Mall um, located in the West Ashley area of Charleston. And unfortunately, um, it follows a trend of, of domestic violence and women succumbing to the violence at the hands of um, either a former partner or a man in their lives. You know, women in, in the state of South Carolina, unfortunately, have uh, been the victim of, of tragic gun violence and domestic violence. And in fact, the Post and Courier won a Pulitzer based on a series of, of reporting on that issue back in 2015. Um, but basically they tied that tragedy to bail. Uh, and I, it piqued my interest because I wasn't necessarily following bail legislation or, or law. Um, I wasn't following what we were doing with bail here. I am a prison abolitionist. I do believe in restorative justice uh, measures. That doesn't mean we let all the criminals out for those who don't know what that means. But, but I do believe in um, restorative measures that actually help reduce crime 
Um, I do believe in investing in education and jobs that help uh, also reduce crime in other ways. And also, uh, you know, just just cutting down on recidivism with measures that actually rehabilitate folks as opposed to just turn them into harder uh, hardened criminals. So I, I, I wasn't doing my due diligence in terms of bail, but I, I was disappointed to see that they were going to try to increase bail and make it harder for people to, uh, I guess, uh, get themselves out of jail if they're um, locked up on, on petty offenses or things of that, of that nature. And they're tying it directly to this, this gentleman who, uh, who took a woman's life at Citadel Mall. And I definitely understand. Um, I respect the family of, of the fallen, of, of the victim, wholeheartedly and this is not about the family this is not about that woman that lost her life but it's almost it's almost the opposite like I I feel this is a disservice to tie that tragedy to an issue regarding bail and creating another barrier for poor people um to to get out of jail for like petty offenses or small 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 offenses and so that led me on a journey and as I continue to read about what's going on here in Charleston I saw another headline um, published uh, on the 10th of March, and it was regarding immigration. Um, so, again, the Post and Courier, this was written by Gregory Yee and Stephen Hobbs. And the headline that I, that I read was, As Immigration Debate Boils, Charleston Heats Up as Robust Detention Point. So, basically, um, here in Charleston County, the Sheriff Al Cannon Detention Center has now become a popular hub for incarcerating asylum seekers and this has been happening very very quietly I I don't think many South Carolinians and many Charlestonians are are, I don't think they're aware that the 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 Cannon Detention Center in North Charleston is is becoming a huge destination for asylum seekers and again asylum seekers are those fleeing conditions in their uh in their home country so they're not being um you're not being smuggled in per se and we do and also this detention center is also housing more and more immigrants that have been apprehended by ICE so we have an immigrant population that's actually more diverse than we would like to believe it's not just those uh Spanish-speaking um folks from uh, Mexico or even uh, other South American countries it's a wide array of immigrants being detained at a, an enormous rate, and it's happening very quietly. And I don't—I haven't heard too much um, mainstream news about it, and and for two reasons: the advocates on the ground, from what I when I reached out today and spoke to a program manager who is dealing, who's directly dealing with translation and other details regarding this issue, um, she mentioned that discretion is important, right? They don't want to make too much noise because they have to work uh, in concert with ICE and able to, and, and in order to advocate for this immigrant population. So that's one reason why this is quiet. But the other one is quite deceptive or, or quite deceitful um, on behalf of our, our government. Now, I will. I'm, I'm going to celebrate the good um, and I'm going to celebrate the less than <laughs> the less than stellar always. So basically. Um, one thing I can say about Charleston County in regards to incarceration, they received a grant some time ago and they worked toward a more sustainable uh, way of housing those uh, and at the at the Al Cannon Detention Center. Um, so basically, this grant helped to to 
put in place more restorative justice measures. And it actually, oh, I, I read the, the reporting coverage on it, and, and I've heard some feedback from those who have been inside the detention center, and it has improved conditions. Like So, so when you walk into to the, when inmates walk in, if they've been detained, they're not necessarily in, in cells, they're not uh, handcuffed um, for ex extended periods of time, um, they're, they're released sooner. So there's been some sort of relaxing of how we treat inmates for smaller offenses and so that's a good thing, right? But what offsets that is now you have this huge influx of immigrants who are being jailed and brown, black and brown, but specifically Spanish-speaking immigrant communities here in Charleston County and Dorchester County as well um, are being surveilled uh, more, more closely. Um, they are being watched closely. And uh, and ICE is apprehending them, and they are actually being detained. And there is a financial incentive that we um, there's a financial incentive involved that's really really unsettling. And I'm just gonna read um, a bit of this article again. This is from uh, March 10th of this year. Um, this coverage of this is, I'm sorry. This is written by Stephen Hobbs and Gregory Yee. Again, the the headline is as immigration debate boils, Charleston heats up. A ro as a robust detention point. And this is just the first, uh, let's just read a little bit of the article. It says, At a recent influx of hundreds of asylum seekers is bringing money and in an increased scrutiny to Charleston County's detention center amid country's heightened immigration debate. The county remains a willing partner to detain people, not just immigrants, on behalf of the federal government, and it expects to receive millions of dollars again this year for doing so. While a steady stream of federal detainees at the Alcannon Detention Center is not unusual, the sudden arrival of more than 400 asylum seekers since late December, that's, that's the number, y'all, 400, you know, this is, this is, but what's new is the 400, the 400 number. And I was, I was told today that the number is as high as 500 as of today. Um, so 500 asylum seekers are now being detained at the Alcannon um, Detention Center. And again, uh, and this is purely not purely, but this is mostly financially um, driven. And as I read the article, and I'm not going to read the whole article because that's not what you tune in for. You don't tune in to hear me read from books, even though I will, <laughs> if you if you ask. Um, I'm not going to read the entire article, but I will I, I will mention some key points. But as I read the article and then I read another piece, let me see if this is it. Yeah, back in July, July of 2018, this was in the Post and Courier. It might have also been in... Um, Nope, it's written again by Gregory Yee and Andrew Brown. So on July 31st, 2018, the headline reads, SC taxpayers pay millions for secretive police force that arrests immigrants for fake IDs. So basically, there are a number of petty offenses and crimes um, uh, that uh, immigrant communities are, are falling victim to. Uh, and they're using it as a way to apprehend and jail more and more immigrant um, community members. And what's unsettling about this, about this is it's, it seems to be 100% financially driven, and, and, and it's some double dealing going on. So the, the, the county jail system has received this huge grant to help put in place restorative justice measures to make it more sustainable and less of a burden on taxpayers. As I read the reporting on this um, 
this increase in 400 asylum, 400 to 500 asylum seekers, the increase in um, the detention of the of these people. I'm reading also comments from the county jailers who are saying that this is a huge incentive. Um, they prefer immigrants because they're more compliant and easier to manage. This is troubling language. So basically, we have on the record uh, spokespeople from Charleston County Jail Systems and ICE admitting that they prefer to jail immigrant communities because, you know, they're largely fearful. There may be a language barrier. And so they're less of an of a issue, I guess. Um, and they're getting money. They're, get, they're receiving huge amounts of money from the federal government to house uh, these asylum seekers and immigrants. So, and like, like they, they projected to, let me see, it says Charleston County's current budget projects holding federal prisoners will bring more than $3.5 million. This is from that article again, $3.5 million. So this is big money per immigrant detainee. And so um, this is really, this is really disheartening. Again, I, I, I commend, I guess I commend Charleston County jails for for putting in place those restorative justice measures, but I I, I don't like. It. But then you turn around, and you do this. Um, so I don't I I, I don't get it right. It, it and it's, it almost seems like you want to show us on one side, you want to show us on one side that you're doing something compassionate and that you're actually thinking critically about uh, sustain how sustainable uh, mass incarceration isn't right. It looks like you're trying to address a greater problem because reporting going back to 2015, I think I've read. Um, reporting on how the overcrowding is a huge issue. So you've you've met the overcrowding challenge with this grant, and you've been compliant. But then you you turn around and um, you become a key point uh, of detention of of, of Spanish speaking and not just Spanish speaking. Um, I was told Cameroonian, so that's as African, Haitian immigrants, Cuban. It goes on and on. Uh, we have uh, immigrants from all over, and you're doing it solely based on uh, 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 on a, a financial incentive. And uh, there is someone who went on the record and said that this is a huge win for the county of Charleston in terms of bringing in revenue. I'm going to read a quote. It says, it's a revenue stream. This is according to um, uh, Mr. Lucas from ICE um, and the U.S. Marshal Services. And the F, uh, so it says this is a huge boon for Charleston County taxpayer. Can you imagine um, referring to the jailing of, of just uh, law abiding families and, and hardworking people who actually pay taxes, who actually have their kids in schools, who actually contribute to society in very, very thoughtful ways? Can you imagine them being uh, their lives being characterized as just a financial incentive and jailing and separating families and holding minors even as reported holding minors uh, in custody with adults can you imagine that just being reduced to a financial incentive for Charleston County taxpayers um, I'm very disappointed by that so today I didn't just uh, read this um, I reached out to some area advocates and within the article the article was amazing in terms of um, it reassured me because there are people on the ground here in Charleston, um, people from neighboring states uh, who have founded uh, Me Malatin. I pronounced that a little. hope I did it right. <laughs> My friends will check me if I didn't. Me Malatin, um, based in North Carolina, um, they're representing a lot of the undocumented uh, or the uh, the asylum seekers here and they're based in North Carolina however they have started a Charleston project 
Um, and they have been just working very, very, very diligently and enlisting the help of local um, advocates. I know that some of the m members of the team have reached out to the Charleston School of Law, so students there are helping in this effort because what's going on, so basically if an asylum seeker comes in contact with ICE and is detained at the Alcannon Detention Center, um, they're housed in, uh, it's about two floors there in the facility. Um, they're housed uh, there and uh, basically, they're not equipped because there's a language barrier in most cases. They may not be equipped to pass their credible fear interview. Now, credible fear is, is the reason you list for why you are seeking asylum. And again, if there's a language barrier and, and other resources missing, they can't advocate for themselves, especially if they're not presented with any advocates in person. So they're unable to advocate for themselves properly, so they'll fail their, their, their credible fear interview, which will subsequently lead to either uh, deportation or some maybe even uh, remaining uh, in some sort of limbo status where they're continuing to be jailed, I'm sure, because of the financial incentive. I'm sure there's no haste to remove these people, oh, excuse me, these community members. I do not want to add to the dehumanization, um, so please excuse me. Um, but uh, so me, Malatine, is working diligently on um, throughout throughout this area with some other uh, folks who I will not name, but um, because, again, discretion is important. Uh, but this person that I spoke with today, the, the program manager, um, was very, very candid about what, what the immigrant population faces. They mentioned things uh, like uh, the conditions, like being handcuffed for over 20 hours in some instances. I mentioned earlier uh, that younger people, uh, maybe minors even, are being jailed with uh, adults. Uh, there is not just um, Latin American countries represented. Again, there's African, Haitian, um, Cuban, you know, there's, there are a number, uh, not just Latin countries, excuse me, not Latin American, Latin countries represented. There, there, are, there are a number of countries represented in this population. It's about 500 men, I'm told. I didn't get a concrete number on if, if there are any women um, or what happens to children if they come with minors. I didn't get an answer on that. And because I have so many questions and also because I am not the one performing this important work, um, next week, I'm actually going to have that program manager present to speak directly to what it is that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about today. And I, and I did reach out to other advocates who could not make it today, um, people, who, again, who have been on the ground. Um, but also, that the program manager told me, too, that this is, there's a larger issue going on in terms of trafficking. And this is what really, really, really blew my hair back, Right. There's a huge trafficking issue in South Carolina, a huge trafficking issue. Um, actually, I came across another story in today's paper, um, anti-human trafficking posters displayed at tournament. So this is reported from Columbia, South Carolina. It says, South Carolina law requires posting of human trafficking awareness posters in hotels, bars, and airports. And as you know, the NCAA tournament is heating up in our um, our 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 teams up in uh, at USC are going to be represented in the tournament. And so there's anti-trafficking posters being placed because we have a problem here. Um, we have a problem here in not just Richland County, but in, in Charleston County. And according to this program manager, um, you know, folks are being brought in, trafficked for labor and, of course, for sex, for um, sex work. 
and depending on, and I don't want to get into specifics, I won't even um, list the ethnicity, but certain ethnic groups, um, they're being um, removed from detention quite easily and basically being put right back into either the illegal sex work or into human sl- into literal slavery here in Charleston County. I'm not being an alarmist. I'm telling you firsthand what I've read and what I've researched and what I spoke to um, advocates about. Um, so, but, but, but doesn't that really just send chills uh, down your back? Uh, it, just it, it, to know that I knew trafficking was an issue. I've been, I've been an organizer in this area for quite some time. And I was made aware of how prevalent trafficking is, but I did not know that this influx in immigration or this influx in asylum seekers and then predators who are presenting themselves as advocates or resources are coming to, to, to quote unquote, I'm using air quotes, coming to the aid of uh, supposedly coming to the aid of those who are detained at the Al Cannon Detention Center, but they're actually just they're actually just uh, predators who are just going to take them out of custody and put them into human trafficking. So I'm going to go back into my notes. We're going to take a quick music break. Um, but before we take a break, for those of you just tuning in, I'd like to remind you, <laughs> my name is Mika Gadsden. Uh, this is Miked Up on Ohm, a weekly activist-based radio station, radio show where we talk about all things activism, current events, uh, things of that nature. Uh, it's very unapologetic. So um, let's take this music break. And after that, I'll come back and let you know what's going on with uh, asylum seekers being detained at the Al Cannon Detention Center. It's just a public service announcement sponsored by Just Blaze and the good folks at Rockefeller Records. Fellow Americans, it is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and <laughs> recollection of history in the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho, H to the O-V. I used to move snowflakes by the up. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Ho, fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music biz number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, Ho. Not D-O-C, but similar to them letters. No one could do it better. I check cheddar like a food inspector. My homie Strick told me, dude, finish your breakfast. So that's what I'ma do. Take you back to the dude with the Lexus. Fast forward the jewels and the necklace. Let me tell you dudes what I do to protect this. Shoot at you actors like movie directors. <laughs> say the movie, dog. Now, before I finish, let me just say, I did not come here to show out. Did not come here to impress you. Because to tell you the truth, when I leave here, I'm gone. And I don't care what you think about me. But just remember, when it hits the fan, brother, whether it's next year, 10 years, 20 years from now, you'll never be able to say that these brothers lied to you, Jack. Thing ain't lie. I done came through the block and everything that's fly. I'm like Che Guevara with bling on. I'm complex. I never claim to have wings on. Get my by any means on. Whenever there's a drought, get your umbrellas out because that's when I brainstorm. You can blame Sean, but I ain't invent the game. I just rolled the dice trying to get some change. 
and I do it twice, ain't no sense to me, lying as if I am a different man, and I can blame my environment, but ain't no reason why I be buying this best of change, hope you don't think users are the only abusers, getting high within the game, if you do then how would you explain, I'm 10 years removed, still the vibe is in my veins, I got a hustler spirit, period, check out my hat, yo, peep the way I wear it. Check out my swag, yo, I walk like a ball player. No matter where you go, you are what you are, player. And you can try to change, but that's just the top layer. Right, that Jay-Z music break. Okay, welcome back to Miked Up on Ohm, your unapologetic activist radio talk show. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden, and this is 96.3 FM Ohm Radio, your nonprofit, non-commercial radio station. And we're broadcasting live from a workshop here at 1503 King Street inside of the Ohm Radio Studio. So uh, just before we went to that little quick music break, um, we were discussing today's topic, uh, which was... Um, the jailing of uh, asylum seekers. And just so for those just tuning in, we'll be doing a part two to this show. Uh, next week we'll have in studio, I'll have an advocate who's actually working um, working directly with this population, this, this, the population of folks who are being surveilled and jailed. And I also try to secure comment from other activists that I know who've been working. Um, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Lydia Cotton, give a shout out to um, uh, Diana Salazar, um, shout out to um, Lori Cahue up in Midlands, uh, just women I know who have been advocating for uh, Spanish-speaking communities working in tandem with, with the African-American community as well to bridge certain cultural divides um, here so that we can advocate for one another. And I'd never want to take up space and, and ever uh, uh, present myself as, as a person that's actually doing this work. I know the work is being done by women and men uh, already. Also, the, um, the Me Melatine team. Um, I am horrible with the names, but I know Damien um, Noble is uh, one of the leaders with uh, Me Melatine. Again, they're based out of North Carolina. They've been doing a lot of work here and they've created the Charleston Project. They have the Durham, North Carolina Project. And if you go to Me Melatine, which is spelled M-I-M-A-L-E, tin.org you can get more information on the Charleston project that's the current work being done here on the ground to help service and um, find justice for this immigrant population not just Spanish speaking either um, but to help get resources to those being jailed uh, the influx of of uh, asylum seekers and immigrants who have been brought into the Alcannon detention center so again that website is mi M A L E T I N D O mm, dot O R G me melatine dot O R G. Um, they do a lot of uh, immigration law advocacy, and uh, they do everything from translation to finding legal help, uh, finding way you know places uh, placement for um, for this immigrant population, and they need help. They need donations. They need volunteers. If you're bilingual. Um, perhaps you can just reach out to them and um, and, and help them uh, advocate for this population. And the number is growing, which is alarming. And as I read from the Post and Courier's coverage, that's actually the point. That's the objective. The objective is to um, secure as much federal funding from ICE um, for detaining uh, uh, 
uh, these immigrants who are seeking asylum and seeking better a better life and conditions here. What's what's kind of what's kind of what's very sad about this news, um, aside from just just the, the lack of compassion, um, what's really sad is how uh, the presence of ICE. Um, it, again, um, going back to that article from July 18th um, in the Post and Courier, um, the, how, how deceptive the practices are um, for those, uh, you know, for this immigrant population. Um, and I'm going to read just the first paragraph or two from that article. Again, it was entitled, uh, South Carolina taxpayers pay millions for secretive police force that arrests immigrants for things like fake IDs, right? And it says a secretive South Carolina police force jailed dozens of landscapers, maids, and restaurant workers in recent years after lawmakers promised it would target violent gangs, drug kingpins, and human traffickers. And see, that's the, that's the little trap door that they sneak in through, right? They say that they're trying to keep a uh, community safer, but they go after the, the very people who keep our, you know, who keep our city going, those who provide child care or even care for older or for um, for aging citizens. They're going after those who work very hard in um, our robust food and beverage industry. Um, we have countless uh, immigrants who work and just are trying to provide a better a better life. I myself was born and raised in New Jersey. I um, even though I graduated high school down here in Charleston, I went back uh, up to get my undergrad degree from Jersey City, New Jersey. And if you know anything about northern New Jersey, if you know anything about Jersey period, but specifically northern New Jersey in the New York metro area, you know it's extraordinarily diverse. It almost feels as if every country in the world is represented right there, if not in Jersey City or Journal Square, um, not too far from it. Um, we're talking about West New York. We're talking about Patterson, Newark, Jersey City. Um, it goes on and on. Elizabeth, um, Tenton Falls, where I'm from. A, a huge immigrant communities from all over the world. And so I've always grown up with a very, like, I've gone, I've gone to college. I've been roommates with Dominican, Peruvian, Ecuadorian, Haitian, uh, Jamaican, I've, I've literally had tons of roommates from all over the world, and they were perhaps maybe first or second generation, uh, born in America to immigrant parents or, or grandparents or something like that. And, and I've, I've never seen them other than friends. I've never seen them as anything other than hardworking, um, maybe some of the harder working Americans I've ever met. Um, and that's including my mom and my pops. Um, and I've never, I've, I've never had a, a, a negative uh, feeling toward immigrants. I, I, so I don't, I, I'm, this, this, this uh, fear, this xenophobia that's sweeping across the country is very foreign to me because I've had nothing but a, a positive relationship with immigrant and immigrant communities. Like, uh, especially where I'm from, you had little India and you had little Cuba and, uh, you know, you had just all these different communities that just added to the, the beautiful diversity. And it's a shame that down here, it's not met with the same, even though we know immigrants keep this city running. Immigrants and people of color keep this city work running, and it's our labor. It's a labor of black folks. It's labor of the Spanish-speaking folks that keep the tourism industry going, that keep, again, our food and beverage industries going, child care, you name it. And not just those, they're just regular, everyday folks who work 
who work and pay taxes and do a bevy, perform a bevy of jobs. Um, and, and what I was told today by the project manager was one of the reasons why South Carolina in general, uh, but the South as a whole, one of the reasons why this is a, a prime area for this influx of um, of detainees, of uh, asylum seekers and immigrant detainees, is because there isn't the infrastructure in place like there would be in a New York or New Jersey, um, where areas where there's a huge, you know, booming um, immigrant communities. So unfortunately, as with a lot of other policies, like what we went to fight yesterday at the state house, you know, the South tends to be prime ground for regressive policies. Like the the nation's most, and I don't want to make this partisan, but let's just say conservative voices tend to test a lot of regressive policies here in South Carolina and Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, where there isn't perhaps labor unions and protections in place, where there isn't um, a large number of immigration law. I was told today um, by this pro project manager that there's literally not one asylum lawyer that she knows of in the state of South Carolina. So when these men, specifically these men that are being detained, they go before their, um, they go for go up for their credible fear interview, which again they have to prove. That's where they have to prove what they're fleeing from, and to substantiate their presence here in America. Um, when they, when they go there, they don't have the proper representation in place, and so these. Um, these officials from, from the federal government and from ICE, they know that, right? They know that the advocacy is not there. They know that the, translation, the translators, the placement, and other tools are not in place so they can detain with minimal uh, interference. And also, it's been quite secretive. I, I just, I'm about to wrap up a, 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 a criminal justice podcast series called the Free Scotty J Proje Project or the Free Scotty J Podcast um, which examines criminal justice, and not once did I come across in my studying of, of the issue here in the South, not once did I come across anything specifically pertaining to this uh, boom in um, immigrant detention uh, here in, in Charleston County. And that's on purpose. But I will say Gregory Yee and uh, Andrew Brown uh, and others, they have been doing the reporting. I just have to go suss it out. Uh, but it's not making I haven't seen it on the front page. Perhaps this was maybe the July story was on the front page. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It looks like a pretty big story um, from what I'm reading online. But this is not making major news, and we have to speak up about it. And so I'm encouraging you all, again, to go to Me Melatine's um, website. Again, it's M-I-M-A-L-E-T-I-N.org. And you can either um, you can click on the Charleston Project. It's a tab toward the top of the page. And you can learn more about the efforts here in South Carolina or in Charleston. And um, you can start to uh, to. to to bring awareness to this issue, start sharing this on social media. You know, a lot of times we get to, I've divested personally, I've, I've divested from, um, I've divested from uh, cable news because I feel like it's a production where a lot of our oppression is just being sold to us. Um, you know, and, and, and it's just a vicious cycle of, of bad news and frustrating news and arguing talking heads. And so, um, I don't watch as much cable news as I as I once did prior to the 2016 um, presidential election. Um, however, you can't escape the headlines regarding, um, you know, the, the detention camps at the border, 
family separation, families being, uh, you know, maybe some family being on the East Coast and the children being held someplace on the West Coast or in the, in the Midwest. Um, we were learning about even children, unfortunately, uh, dying while in custody. So we get energized. We, I've seen so much talk about this issue, yet we have our own crisis right here in Charleston County. That's right. Up to 500 detainees, asylum seekers and immigrants from all from a, from a variety of nations are currently being held at the Al Cannon Detention Center. And no one virtually no one is talking about it except for the boots on the ground. So it's time for us if we want to. I don't believe in allyship. I believe in you being an accomplice or a co-conspirator. So if, if you want to show your support for this immigrant population, I really do encourage you to find find such groups like me, Melatin, and, and invest in their work, support them, donate, and volunteer. And also look up these stories. Start sharing these stories. Uh, it's so easy to get caught up in a national news cycle. We know that local is where it happens. This is where, where local elections, uh, lo- anything we see national, chances are we're gonna, we can feel it or we have the same issues locally, and that's something that we need to, to kind of to investigate and, and tap into. I wanted to read more from the article that was published in the Post and Courier on March 10th regarding um, this this story that flew under the radar. And it's specifically about the revenue aspect again. As I mentioned earlier, I read directly from the page that the um, those who work with ICE and with the Charleston County um, with Charleston County um, law enforcement have referred to this as a win for taxpayers. It's estimated that $3.5 million is expected to come in from the federal government to, uh, to go toward jailing uh, these asylum seekers. Um, and also, um, yeah, so there's a there's purely financial, uh, financial incentive, pardon me. Um, but here's a little bit more. It says more holds, more revenue. Charleston County is not un- is not an unusual choice for holding immigrant detainees for federal government. Several other local governments have similar agreements with ICE. Again, this is our county working in tandem with ICE. Cox, the ICE spokesman, said the agency is temporarily moving detainees to inland areas such as Charleston to deal with a growing number at the border. County jails such as Cannon Detention Center are handling the overflow. So again, we watch national news, we watch cable news, and we see um, all of these camps kind of be, become uh, quickly erected and then dismantled, and uh, local jails are, are now destination places, and now there's an overflow. And so the federal government has incentivized other states and other municipalities or other counties, they have incentivized them to hold the overflow as opposed to just being more uh, relaxed um, at the border it's not a crisis. It's not a. It's not a national emergency. Um, so instead of jailing folks and throwing them behind bars, um, or you know, they're they're continuing to jail them and ship them across the country. So instead of instead of you know providing more compassionate response to this to this issue, um, they're just sending them everywhere throughout the country. So uh, we need to really pay attention to this and start asking some questions. I'm going to read a little bit more. It says Charleston County Assistant Sheriff Mitch Lucas, who previously oversaw jail operations, said ICE detainees typically don't stay for long. Uh, Most inmates face immigration proceedings as soon as they're sent to immigration court. Um, 
But I, I, you know, and while that might be his perspective, I'm not quite sure that if that's completely true. Again, next week we'll do part two of this conversation where we'll speak directly with an advocate who's working um, with uh, providing direct support to this immigrant population and who has visited the the um, Alcannon Detention Center on numerous occasions. Um, this project manager again mentioned to me that when you go to the Alcannon Detention Center the um, immigrants are actually housed on two specific floors. And so, and, and, and what I read in, in the coverage is that the county uh, law enforcement, they actually like this population. They find them to be um, amiable, pl- uh, uh, less confrontational, far less combative. And even from what I was told, the, <laughs> the staff actually uh, rages and goes on and on about how great it is to to work on the, the those floors because we know we know what that means. So basically, instead of lock, locking instead of detaining uh, violent criminals, they're literally going after those who are fearful, those who might have who might not have the word power given uh, a language barrier. They're literally going after this population. They know that so there's a financial incentive and then there's a culture incentive. Because they're less likely to resist um, this this effort, and that's just to me. That's just like you're preying on people because you know that they're not criminals. You're treating them like criminals. You may be um, handcuffing them for up to 20 hours. They may be behind bars. They may not have the best food or access to, to the right advocacy, and you prefer it because they're not going to be, you know, as rough and tumble as as other populations. And that's that's really sad. Um, and so it, it kind of pains me to, to read that detail. And I know I probably mentioned it three times, but, um, it bears repeating. So, um, it's, it's time for us to act. It's time for us to get, uh, charged up, but, um, I'm going to take, um, I'm going to take one more music break, but before I do, I want to remind those who are listening, um, this will be a quick break too, guys, um, uh, remind you all that are listening that my name is Mika Gadsden and I'm your host of Miked Up on Ohm. This is a weekly unapologetic activist radio uh, talk show. As does radio, you know that already. <laughs> and this is 96.3 FM Ohm Radio, your nonprofit, non-commercial radio station. We're broadcasting live from workshop down here at 1503 King Street. And right after this uh, music break, we'll wrap it up and we'll see you on the other side. Take over the globe, now break bread. I'm in Boeing Jets, Flow Express. Out the country, but the blueberries still connect. On the low, but the yacht got a triple deck. But when you young, what the f you spec? Yep, yep. Grand opening, grand closing. Damn your manhole, crack the can open again. Who you gonna find open a hand with no pen? Just draw off inspiration. Who you gonna see? You can't replace him with cheap imitations. For this generation, I get an encore. Do you want more? Cook him. The Brooklyn Ball, so for one last time, I need y'all to brawl. What the hell are you waiting for? 
you made me do. Look what I made for you. Knew if I pay my dues, how will they pay you? When you first come in the game, they try to play you. Then you drop a couple of hits. Look how they wait to you. From Marcy to Madison Square to the only thing that matters is just a matter of years. Yeah. As fate would have it, J status appears to be at an all-time high. Perfect time to say goodbye. When I come back like George, win the four-five. It ain't to play games with you, it's to aim at you. Probably maim you. If I owe you, I'm blowing you to smithereens. Except I take one for your team, and I need you to remember one thing. I came, I saw, I conquered. From record sales, sold out concerts. You want this encore? I need you to scream till your lungs get sore. Oh! It's star time. This man is mean. He's killing all y'all jive turkeys. Y'all want more than Jigga Man. Well, if y'all want more than Jigga Man, then I need y'all to help me bring him back to the stage. Stay home. Come on, say it. Okay, welcome back. This is Mika Gadsden, and you're listening to Miked Up on Ohm, your weekly unapologetic activist uh, talk radio show. Um, you're listening to 96.3 FM Ohm Radio, and we're broadcasting live from the Ohm Radio studio here at Workshop. Workshop is located at 1503 King Street. And um, to, again, today's topic was the, the jailing, um, the incarceration, the detention of asylum seekers. Um, I wanted to um, dig back into Gregory Yee and um, let me see, uh, Stephen Hobbs and Gregory Yee again from March 10th in the Post and Courier. The title of the article is, um, is As Immigration Debate Boils, Charleston Heats Up as Robust Detention Point. So we've seen a huge spike in immigrant and um, immigrant detainees at the Al Cannon Detention Center. Um, and I just wanted to put it into to proper context um, as we wrap up today's show and um, get you all, you know, the right information. I want to put it into context why this number is such a huge number. Now, to me, 500 detainees sounds huge regardless. But to put it into perspective, during, and this is a quote from the article, during 2017, during the 2017 to 2018 fiscal year, ICE had fewer than 10 detainees at the jail, at, at the Al Cannon Detention Center, um, average per day. So you had 10 detainees per day. Uh, the agency pays Charleston County $55 for, uh, per day for every person in houses. So now you've got 500, um, upwards of 500, and the number is growing. Um, and, and again, I remember now, I, remember, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that Charleston County has definitely been commended for, um, they have this grant, they're compliant with this grant that has lowered, um, I guess, incarceration numbers or uh, for like petty crimes. They've, they've put a lot of restorative justice measures in place to, to make it more sustainable. So they've lowered the number of, I guess, uh, resident jailings and provided for more... Um, I get, again, uh, more relaxed conditions, and they've gotten commended for that. Then on the other side, and I also mentioned Mayor Tecklenburg and other lawmakers have been advocating for an increase in bail, um, citing a, a recent shooting at Citadel Mall as the reason that bail needs to be increased when we know that, that that just tends to be a barrier for people who might be accused of really small, innocuous um, 
you know, charges uh, for them to get out of get out of jail. So on one hand, you're doing something good. On the other hand, you're doing two things that are that are, are really the test of just disgusting, which is you're jailing uh, not just asylum seekers who are not here illegally, um, but you're also jailing immigrants and you're surveilling these communities. You're you're busting them for anything from ID discrepancies to to other things when they're just here to try to pay taxes, earn a living, and support their families. So please keep your eye on this um, information. Know that, that each each detainee, 500, maybe even growing, uh, 500 detainees, $55 per person per day. You do the math, expected $3.5 million in revenue. This People are not revenue. These are humans. These are family members. These are hard workers, and they deserve uh, to be advocated for. So tune in next week. We're going to do part two. We're going to have in the studio advocates who work directly with this immigrant population. Until then, stay free.